Live from 3T's is recorded in front of a studio audience. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Live from 3T's podcast. My name is Mike Love. Thank you so much for tuning in. We got R. Kelly on the podcast today. No jokes, no jokes. We're talking about R. Kelly's new CD, The Buffet, and that is all we're talking about. Look, man, I'm not getting into the allegations 14 years ago. Like, that's ridiculous, the fact that people are still, and people expect me, Mike Love, you going to ask him about? No, no, I'm not going to ask him about girls. And, you know, you can't even put up a picture of R. Kelly. Like, I took a picture with R. Kelly. I, I took a gang of pictures with him. I'm not putting him on social media because I don't want that smart ass to be like, so did he piss on you, Mike Love? Make sure your daughters ain't around. And it's so funny because when you start doing those uh, posts on Facebook, all of the women that respond to the status all of a sudden went to Kenwood or Hyde Park Academy and they got hollered at by R. Kelly back in the day. And I look at some of those profile pictures and I'd be like, <laughs> no, you did not. Stop a lot. Well, maybe they were, you know, <laughs> maybe they didn't weigh as much back in the day. I don't know. But, you know, if R. Kelly tried to holler at you, good for you. Uh, hop on black Twitter and join in with that whole thing. I'm on something different. I don't follow. I lead. So I'll be talking to R. Kelly about his CD, The Buffet, and that's it. Yay! All right. Also on the podcast today, of course, uh, people still come up to me in the streets. Shout out to my sister Sundance, who had me on episodes from The Element. One of the first questions that she asked me was, uh, what's up with you and the Diz? What happened with you and GCI? Oh, the questions that people still ask. And, you know, I thought I was being punked. I was at Sugar Babies this past Saturday, and a woman came up to me at the end of the night, and she said, you still talk to the Diz? And I'm in my mind, I'm like, wow, that's going to be the topic of my next uh, podcast. People always assume because we had such a great rapport on the air that we were good friends and we hung out together. At least for the first five years, from I say like 97 to 2001, we were always together everywhere because we were always booked as a team, Mike Love and the Diz. So if we went out to a school in the morning, uh, if we went to a career day or we went to a pep rally or we went to speak at a college, it was Mike Love and the Diz. And then we turned around and went and we were on the radio together. And then we turned around and we were in the club together. So we spent a lot of time together and there really wasn't a need for us to hang out outside of that because we spent so much time as the bad boys. Mike Love and the Diz, Mike Love and the Diz, everywhere we went. Of course, we had differences in our personalities and there was a TV show that aired in 1997. I want you guys to uh, check this out and get a little insight on the types of people that we were even back then. My partner Mike is real laid back, real cool, always seems to know what's going on, stays in complete control about things. And me, I'm, I'm the wild one of the crew. You know, we once did a skit on the radio where how could you tell Mike Love and Diz apart? You know, Mike Love is the laid back, wanna watch a video, cool out with your lady type. I'm the wild jump off your speaker, rock the party, you know, just get everything, the hoorah of the crew. So, you know, it's kind of, it kind of balances itself off, you know. You get one wild, loud, crazy one. You get one real cool, laid back one. You put us together, we complement each other, you know. Fantastically, it's cool. The reason why we can work so well together is we both come from the same kind of background. We both started out as DJs. We did the clubs, we did uh, mixed shows. 
And when we'd be in the studio, we'd be vibing off the things that we did that we had in common. We'd talk about records that we were playing in our clubs, and, uh, and we just ended up vibing off that. And, and it ended up working out for the best, and he's crazy and I'm crazy. And uh, both of our egos work together. It's like we, we can give and take. A lot of people can't really let someone else shine. That's the, the, the reason why we work so well together is because uh, my ego can let him take the lead and his ego can let me take the lead. So that was from Urban Street, 1997. It aired on television and locally in Chicago. And yeah, Diz was a wild, crazy guy and I was super laid back. And that just kind of continued. I think, and I always say this to people, uh, when you get popular, when you make money, when you blow up as we did, as Mike Love and the Diz, you become more of what you already are. You don't change, you just become more of what you are. The Diz was a star, a celebrity, a rah-rah kind of guy. The people that, are, that he surrounded himself with were the types of people that praised him like, you know, oh, that was a great mix you made. Oh, I heard you on the radio, blah, 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 that type of thing. And I would never surround myself with people like that, yes men. Like the people, <laughs> the people I surround myself with, you know, like they give me shit. The type of people that like, you're local. Shout out to Tommy Stacks, who forever to this day still calls me a local DJ. Those are the type of people. I want people knocking me. I don't, I don't want people building me up. Eventually over time, a wedge started to form between us. Uh, I really don't know why. Maybe if I really dug deep into my mental Rolodex or asked somebody that was around us a lot, they could give me uh, some insight. I know that we had a publicist, and the publicist happened to be somebody that I was having an affair with. <laughs> Maybe not the smartest thing in the world to do with your publicist is have an affair, but she represented me and the Diz, and sometimes the Diz kind of didn't always make sense in the types of things that he wanted, and he wanted for the bad boys. And I made more sense. Not only did I make more sense, but I made sense to the girl that I was having an affair with. So it's kind of seemed like a two against one. I don't even want to make it about we broke up over a girl or we broke up over a lady. <laughs> you can't have people in your ear. That's another one of the things. He had people in his ear. And my publicist was probably in my ear as well. At that level, the level that we were at, Mike Love and the Diz, you know, he's got his people telling him that, you know, he's this and that and he should be the this, that, and, you know, people in my ear. I don't listen to people in my ear, though. I'm like, get out of my ear. I'm going to do what it is I'm going to do. After a while, like a wedge formed between us and we literally stopped talking. We went to work every day and we were on the air and we would not I would not speak to him. He would not speak to me. But we could do our show like we were such a well-oiled machine by then. Like we were like five, six years in. So I would say my part, he would say his part, and we turn off the mics. It never got unprofessional. It never got petty or anything. Like we just did not speak to each other. We did our show and then we went on our way. And you know, over a period of time, like I don't I can't remember if it's months. You gotta forgive me, y'all. Like I I blocked out <laughs> I blocked out a lot of shit, man. I don't <laughs> I don't live in the past. I live in, I try to live in the moment and I try to continue to move forward. So a lot of times when I'm thinking back, like, why did we stop talking? Why did we this? You know, a lot of people could rattle off. I stopped talking to that motherfucker because of this, 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 and this. And he did this, 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 and this. 
I don't really lock that stuff in. Now, it could be the rap music that I listened to that killed a lot of brain cells. You know, maybe it was the uh, white wine I was drinking. I drank a lot of white wine back then. I was a white wine connoisseur. I don't think that white wine has that kind of effect on your mental capacity. But we stopped talking. And as time went, whether it was months or years later, we finally started talking again and, you know, kind of resumed the rapport that was Bad Boy Radio, meaning we spoke to each other. But I think that the rift that started when we stopped talking never really disappeared, at least in my mind. You know, I I definitely held a grudge, even though we became cool again. I remember inviting the Diz to my house for my 10-year wedding anniversary, and this was way before we even fell out. I lived in Richmond Park. He lived in Richmond Park, and he never made it by the house. He didn't come through, and I remember seeing him at the club that night. He was like, oh, yeah, man, I wanted to come by your thing. Couldn't make it, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. That's when I learned that, you know, your coworkers aren't your friends. So I always feel like, you know, one good turn deserves another. So after we fell out and then became cool again, he invited me to a birthday party at his house and I didn't show up. And my wife was coming with me and she was mad because she got dressed and we were getting ready to leave the house. And I was like, we're not going. And she was like, you fucker, you suck. But yeah, as I said, I don't remember everything, but shout out to my guy, Marcus Chapman, who wrote a book called Star, Sex, Time, and Radio. And the book was basically about Marcus's life and career in radio. We worked together at GCI, and Marcus also wrote about funk and hip-hop and rock and all the music that he listened to and a lot of the women that he had sex with. It's a great book. (laughs) It's on Amazon. Cop it. This excerpt in the book is basically about me leaving Bad Boy Radio. 2007 marked the 10-year anniversary of the Bad Boys taking over the 610 night show on WGCI. On the surface, this seemed like a great accomplishment. That would have been the case if it had been any other day part on the station. But anyone who truly understands the industry knows that 10 years is way too much time to have the same night show on a hip-hop and R&B station. The new generation of kids coming up doesn't naturally take to whomever their older brothers and sisters listen to at night when they were younger. The kids who originally made up the Bad Boys audience in the late 90s and early 2000s had grown up. Unfortunately, now the very grown Bad Boys had not been given the chance to grow with their listeners. Elroy Smith, the program director at WGCI, had tunnel vision when it came to his night show and couldn't see it being hosted by anyone else. He also couldn't see the Bad Boys in any other spot besides nights. Instead of maybe giving the duo a shot at the afternoon day part when Sam Silk was leaving, He kept them where he felt most comfortable. Smith had once joked in a meeting that Diz would still be doing nights when he reached the age of 50. (laughs) We'll call that foreshadowing. Both Mike Love and the Diz were offered contract extensions in 2007 to stay in the 6 to 10 spot even longer. The Diz resigned. Mike Love, who had already expressed frustration at being kept in, quote, the Kitty Night spot three years earlier, did not. This is where the story became disputed amongst the staff. One version had Mike Love being willing to resign, but only for a significant pay increase. During the negotiations, Love's weariness about entering another three-year deal apparently came to the attention of Earl Jones, a former NFL player. Jones was the regional vice president of Clear Channel Radio's Chicago market. Jones reportedly stated that he didn't want, quote, one guy running and one guy walking. I still don't know what that means. At night. So the deal was withdrawn and Mike Love was released. Either way, the leader of Bad Boy Radio had left the building. 
love later compare being kept on the night show 10 years to being kept in kindergarten. Now, I know what people think, like, Jesus Christ, Mike Love, like, shit. Like, you know what? Here's how I remember it. You know, the first five years are like the golden age of Mike Love and the Diz. So I say like 2002 to 2005, it starts to wane a little bit. Like it starts to not necessarily go downhill, but there's not anything fresh or new that we can add to the show. You know, you have competition starting to come up, the the hot boys. I'll never forget being in the studio and having the TV on and, you know, seeing the hot boys, uh, Tony Shag, they were like on TV. Like what show? They were on like a sitcom, I think. They were on like Moesha. They weren't not Moesha. It was like the Moesha spinoff with uh, the fat lady, <laughs> Monique, the Parkers, right? <laughs> so the Hot Boys were on the Parkers, and I'm thinking, man, these guys probably look up to us as guys that made them want to do radio, and, and here they are on TV, and we're slowly falling off. <laughs> Those are the years where I'm like starting to want to do something else. Like, man, okay. You know, how long can we possibly do six to ten? How long can you be stuck doing the show? I know that people grew up listening to us. I know people love the show, but you don't want to feel like you can't grow anymore. You want to feel like, wow, man, I want to be able to do mornings on this radio station or afternoon on the station. And as Marcus said in that excerpt in his book, which was very true. Elroy Smith was like an affirmative action program director. Like he would give you a shot even when nobody else wanted you to get that shot. But once you got that shot and you were in that shift, that's where he saw you and he didn't see you doing anything else. So if you felt like Sam Silk was the afternoon guy or Tony Sko was the afternoon guy, if you felt like Crazy Howard was the morning guy and he felt like Mike Love and the Diz were the night guys, He went with him because he was the final say-so. He made the decision, and he stuck with him, and you got your affirmative action spot, and you were there, and that's all you were going to do. So I knew without Elroy even saying, and that's another great thing about program directors, (laughs) you have to become a mind reader because they are not really ever going to come out and say, Mike Love and the Diz, you're never going to do afternoon drive. You just got to figure out that that's what's happening around you and you're never going to get that shot. So I pretty much saw the writing on the wall that we were never going to get a shot to do any shift but 6 to 10. So I was like, man, this dude knows. He's making a joke in a meeting that the Diz will do 6 to 10 till he's 50. But Mike Love, you know, I'm the kind of guy that's like, man, I want to do other things. Give me an opportunity to do other things or it's time to find something else to do. So that's the story, man. I hope that kind of cleared it up a little bit. So by the end of our work relationship, as like your work relationship, once it was over, it was over. And at the end of the day, always say, what are you without the radio? Who are you without the radio? Are you like Crazy Howard going on Gene Sparrow show, still wishing that you had an opportunity to be on the radio again? Wishing and waiting for somebody to call you, call your name one day and put you back on the radio so you can be a star again. I would take a radio. I would take a, as much money as we made doing morning drive. Yeah. I would take a part time job right. on the radio right now. I missed the Man, let's just call it in. Credit, man. That, I, you I know, know, all of that craziness. Yeah. I, 
And, and remember, my daughter's older, yeah. so I live alone. Yeah. And I miss that, that companionship, yeah. that intimacy, if you will, with, with the listeners. Are you a crushed star? I'm not a crushed star because I was not a star to begin with. And um, I know that there's a beginning, middle, and end to everything. And I'm always trying to plan for life after whatever it is I'm doing. So my life after uh, 106.3, I'm ready, baby. I'm already planning. We'll be back with our Kelly. My name is Mike Love. This is the Live from 3T's podcast. The 3T's podcast is taped in front of a live studio audience. All right, we're back. I haven't talked to this guy in years. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Live from 3T's podcast. My name is Mike Love. His name is R. Kelly. What's up, man? What up, Mike Love? What's, What's up, going baby? on, man? It's been a minute since we hung out. Yeah, it's time. What yes. Do? 13 albums deep in the yes, game. Sir. The Buffet. Yes, sir. I, I guess my first question is, you know, your fans want one thing. They've grown with you. You know, these folks have been around since, you know, the first album. Yeah. You know, people in their late 30s, you know, early 40s now. Yeah. Well, how did you decide the direction for this new album? You know, I always, every time before I do an album, I always listen to my fans when it comes to my tours. When I'm out there on stage, I'm looking over the, the audience. And this particular time, at this point, I've done like 27 years worth of right. concerts. Right. So now, being in the business that long, you got all these different age groups in, mm -hmm. in the audience. Right. It's the most craziest, interesting thing in the world. It's so, be, right. you know, and I have to, as an artist that has uh, been blessed to do, have longevity in this business, I have to figure out a way to uh, appease all those different genres of people, right, generations. Right, right, so I right. decided I was going to go in the studio and and give everybody a little something, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, a little old school, a little hip hop, a little, um, you know, R&B, and even blues and country on this particular album. I just wanted to do a little bit of everything I knew how to do. Right. Honestly, got all groups of people coming up to me in the malls, the restaurant, wherever I go, and and depending on the age group of that that person. Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to ask me for, it, it, it'll be random. So right. What else can you really do at this point, though, other than kind of appease everybody? You know, I always believed in, in the unknown, man. Mm -hmm. You know, anything I've ever done, I didn't know I was going to do it before I did it. So I believe in the unknown and whatever is to come musically to my head as an idea creatively, I feel I'm going to nail it. Let's talk about this new album, man. Yeah. 18 cuts on the deluxe version. I see, uh, what is this, 13 on the regular CD that I'm holding right now. It kicks off with the poem. You started out with a little uh, uh, spoken word. Spoken words, baby. <laughs> I went to a spoken words before, man, and I was like in Atlanta. I was in Atlanta about uh, seven months ago, and I had a ball, man. And mm. it was just amazing to hear people you know, uh, recite words like they were doing right. and uh, a lot of metaphors and things like that. And I was saying to myself, man, it would be nice to start. That's where I got the idea from to start my album off okay. with a poem because right. I've never written a poem before. Okay. So that's why I wanted to do that. Now, the move to Atlanta, was that to kind of get like a fresher perspective as far as like what's going on on the younger end of the, of the spectrum as far as the music? No, I went to Atlanta, man, because, you know, it's a lot of business up there, you know, and I was offered to come up there and do some business. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and, and I went 
but I didn't move up there. I, I mean, I, I got a place that up there. That was the word, that you moved, like yeah. R. Kelly moved to Atlanta. Hey, man, you know, I can't take a Tylenol in front of nobody. So, you know, <laughs> that go. Everybody, like, as <laughs> soon know. as you do it. <laughs> I'm telling you. So, I, I got a little, you know, three flat, whatever, up there. You know, I'm just right. chilling. And, uh, but I'm home. It's home. This is where I'm mm-hmm. always be at in, in Chicago, man. So, you recorded there? Did you record a lot of the album there? Uh, not a whole lot. You know, I was doing a lot of stuff when I was in in Atlanta, uh, getting my place together and, and things like that as well. But a few songs I did, but but those songs didn't end up making it on the album. You've even said that you were going to do a house. Like, you went to the Chosen Few Picnic a couple of years ago and was like, Absolutely. ladies and gentlemen, I'm doing a house album. And I'm seven songs deep into that right now, and it's Is called there- House Arrest. Is that right? Absolutely. Is that and that's actually gonna come out one day? Well, I, yeah, you know, it's all on Wayne Williams. You know, he's a househead, so you know, right, right. we he's uh, constantly sending me house tracks, and we working on some house tracks together. And yeah, it, it has to come out. Okay, so your daughter is on this album, Ari Ray. Okay, and uh, how did that come about? I mean, obviously, it's family connection, music yeah, connection. Yeah, you know, um, I hadn't seen uh, um, Ari Ray in, in a while, and then you know, we ran in to each other and I told her, listen, come to the studio, I got something for you. And and she ended up coming to the studio and then uh I played the song I Just Wanna Be There. Mm-hmm. And we 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 teared and cried together, hugged and you know, and then we got to it. You know, and uh took in the studio and to my surprise, she could really sing. She had you know uh-huh. runs that were similar to her daddy, and I was like, "Wow!" And and you were surprised at that, I'm blown away at man. the lineage. Like the apple ain't falling too but far. I knew from- it though when I wrote her part. When I wrote her part and and what and what I thought she felt or whatever, mm-hmm. I knew she was gonna be able to nail it. You okay. know, and you had heard her sing in the past. Just- uh, yeah, when she was like six or seven, I did a song, you know, in the studio, and, and she, just to play around, and she went in the studio and nailed that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I knew. What do you want to come out of this album? What do you want your fans to uh, be able to take away from the buffet? The traditional thing, you know, is for the fans to just have fun and and and, and listen to the album and and um, make it. A classic, mm-hmm. and and actually walk away saying, first of all, Kel still got it, right, you know? right, right. And this album is for another album that's forever. But I just want people to enjoy it, man. Most of most of all, and, and support it, you know, because we we just definitely need to support each other. So, will you ever completely come over to this side? And when I say this side, I mean the complete the the old soul, the the Charlie Wilson, the Kim. <laughs> like, will you ever be like, you know what? I turned up all I can turn up. Right, I've been right. in the club. I've right, right. thrown so much money. I am ready to right. come. Or are you just, are you going to be the old man in the club saying, you know what, right, I'm right. Kells and I'm 60. I'm going to keep doing this the way I do it. Well, you know, I tell you, man, you know, I could be 80 years old. And when I go to concert and I and Ignition come on and they still jump and go up like they do, mm. I'm going to be doing it. I'm going to be on there going... It's the remix to ignition, hot and fresh out the kitchen. Mama rolling that body, got every man in here wishing. Just old. <laughs> Absolutely. R. Kelly, man. Good seeing you after yes, all sir. these years. Thanks, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. That's it for now. We'll talk to you next time on the Live from 3T's podcast.